A delusion starts, like any other idea, as an egg. Identical on the outside, perfectly formed. From the shell, you'd never know anything was wrong. It's what's inside that matters. Albert A. had an idea. One day, as he was walking, he stumbled. And for a moment, it seemed that his right leg didn't belong to him. This is how it begins. The leg was clearly Albert's. It was attached to his body, and when he pricked it, he felt pain. But despite that, the idea grew. Such is the power of an idea. With every day that passed, Albert became more and more certain that this was not his leg. He decided he didn't want it anymore. And so one day, he went to the hardware store. You see, an idea alone isn't enough. We have ideas all the time, random thoughts and theories. Most die before they can grow. For a delusion to thrive, other more rational ideas must be rejected, destroyed. Only then can the delusion blossom. Hello and welcome to a storm of spoilers off-season tour. My name is Dave Gonzalez, and if I were to have one character from Legion in my head, it would be Lenny, not Shadow King. Lenny. I'm Joanna Robinson. If I were to have one character from the FX series Legion stuck in my head, it would be Carrie Loudermilk. That's Carrie C-A-R-Y. Uh, and I'm Neil Miller, and I am not sure how to spell the other Carrie's name. <laughs> K-E-R-R-Y. But uh, Girl Carrie is the one that I would have inside my head, um, because she seems chill. Also, she's the only one that can come and go from within inside someone. Like, she can leave if she wants. And if you get so in trouble... I would want that. Yeah, and if you can get in trouble, she can just pop out of you and right. beat people up. Yeah. How great would it be to have someone who could just pop out of you and beat the shit out of anyone at any time? I think that would be very useful. Sounds great. It could be very useful, or it could be the premise of that X-Files episode that takes place at the Freak Show. Uh, spoiler alert, I guess, for the <laughs> 90s. Um <laughs> Hello, welcome back to Storm of Spoilers. As you might have noticed, this is not the Lost in Space episode. Sorry about that, guys. We jumped the gun. That's going to be next week in case you tried to log on to Netflix and notice you couldn't watch Lost in Space. If you watched the 1998 movie and any of the old show, you're ahead, so congratulations. This Star Wars Spoilers is going to be about a couple of different things. Uh, Media-wise, we're going to talk about the Netflix docuseries Wild Wild Country. Uh, which is available right now. And then after that, we're going to talk about season two of Legion. Uh, we covered season one of Legion on this show. Thought we'd jump back in and uh, look at the first two episodes of season two that have aired thus far. We swear these are thematically connected and we'll walk you through that. Uh, but just that's what we're going to get today <laughs> well, in I case just, you I didn't just, check your sh show notes. I just want to say that like, if you haven't watched Legion, I don't think 
like, I think you should still stay tuned. I think you should stay tuned for both, even if you haven't watched both, because I think we're going to talk about them in a way that you don't necessarily like have to be in the show to enjoy this discussion. Also, Dave and I are about to like super disagree, and that's going to be fun to listen to. So there's going to be a lot of explaining things to Neil. <laughs> <laughs> so if you need things explained, if you have opinions, this is still the show for you. It's just not if you are expecting a Lost in Space show that'll be in your feed next week. Yeah, so, for moving real this on time. next week. Yeah, no, it, totally going to happen. Uh, I didn't watch that 1998 movie for nothing, so you better believe we're talking about it. Is it 98? I keep uh, it is 98, like and I okay, good. I did watch it probably for nothing. You watched it yeah. for <laughs> Matt LeBlanc and I mean, fine, fine it, acting skills. It feels like I watched it for nothing, but let's move on to this week's episode. <laughs> All right, first up, we have Joanna with reviews. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow through two reviews: one positive, one negative. The negative review is two stars from Monomatica. Um, and, and Monomatica really just has a request, which is more storm, less calm. Been listening since the beginning, Game of Thrones episodes, and just finished the Black Panther episode. The reason why I used to love it more is because of all the book and production spoilers. Now I want Marvel comic details and spoilers. Too much time spent in the comm section. I end up forwarding to spoilers and then wish it was the whole time. You guys are experts in the genre, and that's why I listen. Anyway, you can amend the format? Question mark. Thanks. Uh, Monomatica, I think that's actually kind of a reasonable point, and I will endeavor in future to try to uh, kick up some some storm topics that we can discuss with various topics. All right. And then this is from Sushi Roll 84, five stars, Sanity Saving Podcast. This comes from Sushi Roll 84 is a, is a young mother and I have a soft spot for young mothers. So I don't know why my best friend, my sister are young mothers. Maybe that's why. Uh, she says, I'm the mom of infant twin boys who are learning how to walk. So it's safe to say that hashtag don't fall down 2018 was lost a long time ago in our household. I slipped on the ice in February. So I'm not even in the running anymore. Anyway, this podcast saved my sanity during those long sleepless days and nights of my maternity leave. I've been a longtime listener, but when it was lonely at 2 a.m., Joanna, Dave, and Neil were there to talk about my favorite fandoms and remind me that there is still a world outside of babies. I used to be a real adult, I promise. Seriously, the camaraderie between the three hosts makes me feel like I'm part of their friend group, if only I was actually that cool. And since I have so few people I can truly nerd out with in my real life, this podcast is a perfect way to keep the fandom juices blowing. The deep levels of analysis make my English teacher heart sore. Basically, I love this podcast. It's one of my favorites, and I'm a podcast junkie. Guys, keep up the good work. I'm a lifelong fan, and so are my twin boys, even if they don't know it yet, but they do recognize your theme music. Hashtag learn to walk 2018. Hashtag stop falling down. So, oh, learn to walk 2018. <laughs> it's really oh, cute. man. She about <laughs> to teach those little kids how to sing the Great Debate song. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Sushi Roll 84. Um, you are definitely cool enough to hang out with us in real life uh when your boys are old enough you should come to con of thrones and hang out with us there which brings us i think dress them up like mini dragons to neil <laughs> yes yes i have uh several things to say about con of thrones uh not a whole lot else to say about game of thrones though this week sorry um but uh con of thrones the schedule is out we found out well i mean it's changing every day but we mostly know the schedule. We mostly know that if you, and a lot of people ask us this, if you are there on Friday, that is the day we'll be doing our um, podcast. Everything. That's the day we'll be everything. doing everything. There's a lot of things going on that day uh, involving us and in the main hall. For some reason, they wanted to like lead with a lot of Dave and I, 
which is a questionable choice, but we're going to go. Someone we're, we're must have it. told them the lie that we're mourning people and they're about to have a rude awakening. Yeah. L-O-L. <laughs> Our first panel's at like 11 a.m. That's going to be. I've seen Woo. you guys in the morning. Hilarious. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, so our podcast, our live pod, which is the one that would interest people who actually listen to our podcast the most, I think, although there's some good, great debates, uh, would be the, uh, that's on Friday. Uh, Also on Friday, we're happy to say Dave and I will be uh, handling a spotlight conversation with Kate Dickey, who played Lysa Aaron on the show Game of Thrones. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. she's really fun and i'm expecting that despite the fact that it is in the morning to be very fun uh and then joanna is also doing a spotlight thing right with uh with everyone's favorite rower yeah i think i got the best spotlight though i uh, think you did yeah the ringer the ringer peeps might disagree because they've got hannah murray uh who's great but uh i got joe dempsey aka gendry and i'll be trying not to uh, drool on him at noon on Saturday. So uh, if you're around noon Saturday at Gone of Thrones, <laughs> come, come watch see Joanna me. try not to drool on Joe Dempsey. not drool <laughs> on Gendry. Um, also, I think, um, I think his abs will be in. Like if the abs are in, we're going to be fine. <laughs> Arya and I get in trouble when he brings the abs out, but if he keeps them in. Abs out. <laughs> oh my God. Our whole goal now is to get Joe Dempsey to take his shirt off during this. <laughs> Joanna panel without letting Joanna know, even though I just said that she's here. So she knows Hashtag now. <laughs> in 2018. <laughs> um, another thing, the great debates are on the schedule as well. Those are going to primarily be featuring us, the three of us, all three of us. Um, and uh, some topics include the best Stark, the most consequential death, who should win the iron throne, the worst place to live, the most mistreated character, and the best lover in Game of Thrones on Sunday morning, baby. <laughs> so mm. that'll be fun. Please do, if you're coming to Game of Thrones, join us for the great debates. Those were the highlight of last year because they is uh, they got is best lover the fun. panel we're wearing our onesies to? Oh, I don't know. Maybe nothing says sex talk like, like a onesies. Game of Thrones onesie. <laughs> I'm just just to creep Joanna out. That sounds like the debate that we wear the onesie to. That's true. I have to I have to buy my onesie. Um, okay, so that's a uh, Con of Thrones. Conofthrones.com. You can also volunteer if you still need a ticket. Uh, that is one cool way to get tickets. Um, and you, I think you can still buy tickets. So do that. Uh, all right. Let's talk about this. Uh, you guys, apparently, I didn't, did not listen to it yet, but talked about this on Fighting the War Room, but this does feel like the best place to talk about the Westworld thing because it's all about spoiler culture. And we are spoiler culture here at Storm of Spoilers. I just determined that myself. So early in the week, um, the fine folks who are the showrunners of Westworld, uh, Jonathan Nolan and his wife, Lisa Joy Nolan, put on did a Reddit AMA, and then they said on Reddit that they were going to, um, in an effort to sort of stick it to spoiler culture, I guess, they were going to reveal everything that happens in Westworld Season 2, which comes out in a couple of weeks. And this got everyone sort of up in arms having an interesting discussion about uh, 
Game of Thrones and the fact that there were books and people knew what was going to happen, but they kept the secrets anyway. So that was sort of the idea here, quote unquote, behind what uh, the Nolans were playing at with Westworld. Everyone sort of played it as if this was a real thing. And then it turned into a video in which we got Rickrolled by the cast of Westworld. (laughs) So where to begin with this one? Hmm. Um, Here's a question. If they would have done it, like if they would have really done it, how do we feel? How would we have felt about that? Because I feel like that's a more interesting question than like, was it dumb? Obviously, every Rickroll is dumb in its own way. But I guess my thought is like the thought experiment of like, if they actually went through with it and delivered a 20 minute video summarizing literally everything, would it have worked? I think so. I mean, even the, so the fake video they released actually does have like 90 seconds or something of what looks like uh, them explaining plot by plot point, what was going to happen. And it's, uh, uh, Walter waking up and uh, on the beach and they're sort of talking their way through it, but we're also seeing clips of the episode. Walter, that's completely wrong. Jeffrey Wright's character. Jeffrey Wright's character. Bernard. Bernard. There we go. Thank you. Wait, was he Uh, always Bernard? He's not always Bernard. Arnold. Sometimes he's Arnold, but he's never. Sometimes he's Arnold. He's never Walter. That's just like two names. (laughs) I still haven't watched Westworld yet, so I'm Elroy Gonzalez. Uh, but it looked like that was going to be like, it'd basically be, uh, the summary you get on like a DVD extra or whatever of, you know, what you missed on season two of Westworld, but we were going to get it beforehand. So it's, I definitely think it would have been useful because as we preach on this show, it's about the execution of things. And then I had some Twitter conversations with fans of this show, uh, about how we, uh, navigated last season of game of thrones since we knew the whole plot and that's how we had to split into the calm and the storm and uh some people were a little bit frustrated of the episodes where we transition the storm and be like all right forget about what we were talking about in the calm none of that's going to happen because for them that sort of speculation is fun and i was saying that basically both exists because uh for people that are you know into this sort of thing, like the three of us, uh, the first part was analysis of the episode, and the second part was more traditionally what this show was, which is talking about execution and uh, foreshadowing and how season-long arcs are plotted and how characters are dealt with uh, consistently or not consistently across multiple episodes. Uh, I think that's a really interesting way to look at a show. I realize it's not for everyone, but I don't think having an official spoiler list or an official plot point list uh, would necessarily up the chances that somebody who wasn't already looking for those things would get ruined, which I think was my main objection to the conversation that was had when we thought this was real. Uh, Yeah, otherwise, I don't know. I'm a little pissed off that ended up being a Rickroll because it sort of devalues the whole conversation that I was just talking about into being like, of course we wouldn't have done this. You fuckwads. Ha ha ha. Here's a dead dog. Uh, like Uh, I don't, the dog thing was felt cruel. Like what's going on there? Like, yeah. Why, why make us watch 20 minutes of it and then tell us it's dead. Also, uh, you don't get extra points for like, you don't get cute points for Evan Rachel Wood doing the Rickroll. She's great, 
uh, and has a lovely singing voice, but that doesn't make it okay. Um, I guess this took me back for a moment, I guess, to the um, just the whole conversation that we had before last season of Game of Thrones, where it was like, you know, we had potentially these leaks, and it was the idea is, would you rather know or would you rather not know? And I think before last year of Game of Thrones, I actually thought, maybe I didn't want to know that. But having come through it, I'm, I think I'm back on Dave's, the train that Dave's riding, which is, um, it's fine. Like, it didn't detract from my enjoyment of the last season. Of Game. Like, like, the loot train battle, knowing that there was something going to happen, uh, did not detract from the fact that that was awesome. So, I don't know. Joanna, do you have any uh, further thoughts on this Westworld thing? I got really mad about it. Uh, I got mad that it was a Rickroll. I got, like, disproportionately mad. I've calmed Well, yeah, you wrote a a whole article about it. Yeah, and that's part of it. I felt, I mean, this is whatever. I don't need to go into that. But I felt like it made a lot of, like, I waited for confirmation from HBO, all this sort of stuff that you're supposed to do. Uh, I feel like a lot of pop culture writers got hung out to dry on this one. Um, this was like definitely hashtag for the fans. And so like maybe the Nolans don't need to care about the pop culture writers and that's fine. Like we can, we can deal. Uh, I got mad about it uh, because I actually, I thought it was a good idea. I, uh, the way, you know, Dave and um, I talked about this on fighting in the war. You can hear us talking about this before we knew it was a Rickroll on fighting in the war oh, room. If you want the conversation, I didn't know that part. Now I definitely in, have to go back and listen. Trapped to in amber, but yeah, um, I was for it because to me it, it sort of struck me as um, exactly sort of how they prefaced it, which is just like you know, it's as if George R. R. Martin, you know, released the last book before the last season of Game of Thrones, and we all read it. And then some of us went into the season having read the book and some of us hasn't. Obviously, a 20-minute video is not the same as, like, a George R. R. Martin novel, but um, I do Oh, man, I wish that. George's books were 20-minute videos. No, you don't. But, I like, I, <laughs> I, I understand why some people were stressed about it. I, for one, was really excited and looking forward to it because I felt like it would have taken some of the tension out of, like the spoiler and theory sort of wars that rage around these, these popular theory shows these days. Uh, and, and then I was disappointed that this was not the case, but I will say this. I, I was recording an episode of, uh, we're doing a Westworld podcast for Vanity Fair, still watching Westworld. I was recording it this morning with my co-host Richard. And as I was describing sort of the scenario, I'm like, as I say it out loud, like, I really can't believe I ever fell for this. And I like, so, <laughs> dumb like neil was like wait this is real i thought it was a joke and i'm like yeah hbo said it was didn't deny it so it must be real i yeah i, I feel, thought it was a joke until so i saw you write about it and then i was I like know. maybe this isn't a joke jonah usually knows stuff that i don't i yeah <laughs> it felt like me starting the from a deeply personal level it felt me starting uh like in this westworld theory game at a loss of like well i already made one really truly terrible call uh to kick off season two um, let's see how many more terrible lapses of judgment. Here we are in the first game of the preseason. <laughs> Joanna Robinson up at bat. Oh, oh, she seems to have snapped her leg in half. <laughs> um, here, you made an it. interesting, you yeah. said something very interesting there that this was, it's obviously not for the pop culture writers who would have loved to have spoilers to be able to write about it later. Um, I know that helps me. But the... You said this is for the fans. I am curious 
about whether or not that is well, well I, I, I think I that's know, what they think it's for, but I'm not sure it works because it's it's no, kind of like I don't think it was great. I don't I don't think it was like I think it's yay, dumb everyone overall. was like it's it's dumb definitely, but like when I was sort of like uh overreacting <laughs> about it on Twitter, uh I tr- I tried to like vague tweet about it if everyone knew what I was pissed about, but like uh a bunch of fans were like I don't understand why you're so mad I just think it's kind of funny and I'm like oh yeah you have like far less skin in this game and I can imagine like if I had no it's like the it's like the fans who thought the like Game of Thrones melting a block of ice to release to reveal the release date was was fun <laughs> I'm like well yeah if you're or, a fan or that's literally anyone fun. who was unbothered by that right those, like, that's those people <laughs> Like, that's fine. Like, I, but as someone who had to sit there and, uh, you know, in Neil's house in Austin, Texas, <laughs> and watch ice melt for two hours, I got mad. And so, like, it's, but it's not for me. It's for the fans. It's not for the pop culture writers. It and is, so that's what I have to, like, remember, you know? It is curious that they did it on Reddit. Although, I guess it is both the best and worst place to do it because those are the fans that are invested. My but- sense. Honestly, like, uh, Reddit does love a good troll job, though. Well, some of the things that I've heard behind the scenes is that the Nolans kind of went rogue on this and HBO was kind of left scrambling. And so that's why HBO's statement was like super weird, which it was because they had like no warning. No idea what was going on. That's what I've been told. That they had no (laughs) warning that it was coming and the Nolans were just like, we're just going to do this because we think it's funny. If that um, is the case. Yeah. Mad respect to the Nolans. I guess so. I like them generally. Who does that? I like them generally, and they generally do have like a really good attitude about spoilers where they're just sort of like, oh, it's cool that you guys figure it out. Like, we wish, you know, we wish you wouldn't amplify it to everyone, but if you do, you know, that's, that's not, you're not bad guys. I mean, like, they just don't have at least yet a combative relationship with their fandom the way that maybe some other showrunners do. So I like that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. So I yeah, I just wanted to get that get those get those thoughts on the old Westworld thing. Westworld is uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, we are going to at some point do an episode, but also you can hear Joanna talk about Westworld on at least two podcasts, right? Sure thing. Decoding Westworld and still watching Westworld. It's funny. We should do ours right at the end and be like, "What haven't you said, Joanna?" <laughs> well, like when. <laughs> When we, um, when I thought this thing was real, I was like, I was halfway to trying to convince you guys that we should do just a storm of spoiler seasons about Westworld because, like, if we had the spoilers, oh, for sure. Um, but yeah, now that we don't, then, um, and we back to Tremors podcast, like we were always (laughs) playing Tremors all the time. And And we really, um, this is good. We could put this out to our listeners, whether or not they'd like to hear us talk about Westworld before the season or after the season. Probably los dos. Probably the second one. No, like both. Like the oh yeah, they probably want both. Because I think uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we cover Westworld. Mm, Why not both that gif? <laughs> Why not both dot com? Um, okay, that's all I have. That's those the those are the things we talked about already. Don't forget about Con of Thrones. All right, that means we're in to part one of our two part Madness of Crowds episode. This one we're going to be covering the documentary series Wild Wild Country. It is a six part documentary series 
produced by the Duplass brothers, directed by two people with the last name Way. I don't want to gender them. I did not do that much research. They are so let's also just... brothers. All right, Way Brothers. What up, Way Brothers? It is about the Bhagwan Sri Ranish, Rajneesh in the 80s who tried to form a commune uh, for his cult in Oregon and in, from 1980 to 1984, which is roughly the time period that the documentary covers. Uh, the people of Oregon and the state of Oregon did not want them there and attempted to get them out by any means necessary, eventually leading to the Bhagwan fleeing amongst his uh, cult being investigated for mass poisoning and immigration fraud and a list of other crimes uh, that the documentary only tertiarily mentions uh, because... This documentary is a documentary with something on its mind. What is on his mind is the differing point between Mr. Adder Robinson's view of it and my view of it. Um, uh, I saw this documentary on Netflix. I like Netflix documentary series. Oh, go ahead. I just want to say this is so on brand for us. Like, I don't think you could, like, you know, in your wildest dream concoct two reactions that are more on brand for Dave Gonzalez and Joanna Robinson. Okay, please go ahead. Yeah, so let's talk about how we got there, I guess. I found it on Netflix. Uh, I like true crime documentaries. Uh, I've liked Netflix docuseries so far, especially what they've been doing with true crime, satirical and not satirical. Uh, so I'm totally into the idea of wild, wild country. Uh, I am was not that uh, familiar with uh, the Rajneesh Purim uh, Oregon controversy. I do remember bits and pieces of it, uh, just from it being brought up around like when Heaven Ga- Heaven's Gate happened, uh, or when Waco happened, like the idea that there was, you know, these fringe, uh, cult societies living throughout the U.S. But I didn't actually know anything about Bhagwan Rajneesh or, uh, the details of the crimes they committed, uh, in Oregon. So managed to watch all of it about halfway through. Thought it was really interesting. Recommended it on Fighting in the War Room. Recommended it uh, to Joanna Robinson, who said, cults aren't really my thing. And I'm like, listen, this one takes a really interesting perspective. I'm going to watch the finale tonight, but I think it's going to be more up your alley than what you're afraid it's going to be. And uh, ultimately, even though I didn't get back to her, something I said in that conversation uh, also provoked her to watch it. And her takeaway was, I think, more about the cult, whereas my takeaway was more about uh, how the government of well-meaning people in Oregon uh, actually kind of twist democratic systems that the Rajneesh are trying to twist the exact same time. So it becomes a battle of uh, law applied to reality uh, with these two groups, I think, both taking extreme sides uh, in a showdown over zoning rights, over... Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just think it's so funny. I, I Like, not in a, not in a, like condescending or bad way i just genuinely think it's so funny that that this is a documentary about the overreaches of government for you which is not to say that that the overreaches of government are not part of this documentary because of course they are uh but like it's just like crazy ass shit happens in this documentary and dave is like but the zoning laws which is just well well, because i don't think crazy ass (laughs) shit does happen in this documentary okay so okay as i was watching this documentary i can 
for what is comparing it in my mind to another documentary called Welcome to Leith, which is a whole bunch of Nazis going to a town in, I believe, South Dakota and establishing a voting majority and slowly taking over the town until eventually the town pings them for not having working plumbing in enough of their residences, which disqualifies enough voters, which means the town ends up sort of like keeping the town together. But in since that situation has happened, legal people have looked back at it and said, actually, that town applying that zoning permit the way they did was actually illegal. So that's a good case of like good people winning over crazy people through this exact sort of same thing. Wild, wild country is just that over seven hours to me because afterwards reading up on the Rajneesh's, if they wanted to do a documentary on how crazy this cult was or on the actual crimes that this cult did, I feel like the scope of the whole thing had to open up because of the way that they frame this documentary as an equally balanced view between these crazy cult people who did a lot of illegal things and these really rich people who have bought or or these few really rich people living with some normal blue collar retirees living in the middle of Oregon both just start throwing crap at each other to the point that when you get to part four or part five of this documentary, it's hard to tell who is actually telling the truth because you don't get any actual establishing facts as this documentary continues to delve deeper actually, into yeah. its interview subjects. I actually think it's it's actually a pretty poorly done documentary in terms of like wanting to get to the truth of what happened. Um, we did get one uh, listener sent in a tweet. Neil, do you want to read the one tweet we got about? Uh, oh, this absolutely. This tweet. Well, I think we got a couple, but I didn't oh, okay. understand all of them. Okay. <laughs> I'm not, I have still have no clue what you guys are talking about. Yeah. Um, anyway, this tweet came from uh, Will Yummies. Good, good name. Uh, what was with all the loose ends? Why did they bring up Antelope residents finding Raj meeting minutes at the dump for that to go nowhere? Thoughts? Yeah. Okay. So I don't know I, what that means. <laughs> I know. I agree with this this person though that there are a lot. They would like introduce something and then just like not resolve it at all, and you could like Google later to figure out sort of how that thing resolved or what actual consequence that thing or like they introduce something like oh the the cult owned a hotel in Oregon and it got bombed and the cult decided that it that was like the opening volley of aggression from the white townspeople. And that's why they started arming themselves with like AK 47s or whatever. Uh, actually Muslim extremists bombed that hotel. It had nothing to do with the white townspeople, but they documentary never says that they never challenge the narrative that, um, this woman who was like the second command of this cult, like puts forward, she puts forward all this stuff and, the documentary is interesting. I, I mean, I, I hesitate to even call it documentary because it's so invested in creating a false equivalency between these like, because I kept calling them, you know, my roommate came home. I was like two episodes into watching it and I made her watch the rest with me because I get scared about cult stuff. And um, I was so like the documentary is working on me so well that I just referred to the 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 people of Oregon as like these backwards white conservative like whatever right they're painted as these like kind of just because every clip they showed of them was like them talking about how they didn't want the cult there because of jesus or whatever or like uh it's a you know it's a front to god this sex cult doesn't belong here we want them gone but then i i did more reading later and like 
the mayor of this town that the cult actually like takes over maliciously, by the way, the mayor of this town, um, there are interviews of her seeming like she's so cool. She's like, oh, yeah, at first I thought it was really fun. They should, they throw these crazy parties. There's all this beer. I thought it was really groovy and cool. Like this lady is kind of she's not conservative. She's kind of cool, but she does not come out that way in the documentary because they editor and all the townspeople and all the people of like all the these white people of Oregon to be like these like God fearing like whatever uh, who don't like the liberal attitudes of the cult when in fact this cult was like super crazy and they get to some little bits of it like the fact that they like drugged uh, like they busted all these homeless people to start to rig elections and then they drugged their beer with Haldol without telling them like that's an insane thing to do Things they didn't mention in the documentary is that they like forced sterilized their women. They forced abortions on their women. Like they 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 sanitized the cult a bit, even though crazy stuff exists in in the documentary, like attempted murder. But they sanitized the cult and vilify the townspeople to try to create a false equivalency. And like that makes me, I guess, obviously, apparently, like really upset. And then. Dave, I, I like I don't disagree with you just because like I think you are more interested in like systems and and challenging systems which you should be, we all should be. But like the fact that I mean the the most uh egregious thing that I think local government does is they like cut off these busloads of homeless people from registering to vote uh in the county election um because it's obviously an attempt for the cult to rig the election and take over the county government. Um but like and on the one hand yes that is an overreach of of government for sure. But on the other hand it's like they had an infestation not of homeless people, like of of these crazy murderous cultists who then poisoned the whole county. It's insane. It's like, uh, so sorry. Okay. So I, I mean, I hope our listeners aren't completely lost if they haven't watched the documentary. Possibly they are. But like, does any of that sound at all I I get accurate? what you're looking for yeah. the truth in this documentary. Yeah. And if we're looking at it through that lens, then everything you mentioned absolutely is a problem. Stuff like uh, Sheila saying, and we were a commune free of STDs, when that's like patently not true. So they not had true. A huge and then, but then problem they, with it. It's okay for her to well, say that, but like then they need to like say, well, actually, here's, if that's what the documentary you know? is about. Okay. Because here's the thing: if I gave you a list of facts like you were able to Google, you would never be on the cult side for any part of this documentary. You're right in that you picked out the most concerning part, if this is a documentary about government, is the registering to vote thing and how that sort of precipitates all the actions in the timeline of the documentary. What I'm saying is, if it's supposed to be representation of truth, it doesn't get there. If it's a narrative about what I think it is, all the parts that we are shown were shown in order for a purpose and it makes like you would write an essay. Does it take a side towards the cult? I think it has to in order to present the issue they're trying to present, which isn't, oh my God, be afraid of these invaders that are like coming. It's that these, you know, every time something different comes and comes with the numbers, our first reaction is to shut it down before we have the evidence that they're crazy criminals no, but I, like this cult ended up being. But that's not what happened. Like, 
I agree with you, but like that's not actually what happened. It's not that the townspeople were like, I mean, yeah, okay. These people show up and they're dressed all in maroon and orange and pink all the time. And like, they're a, a little weird. And, th- and that's okay for like, you know, conservative Oregonians to be like, I'm a little weirded out by this cult that's like taking over this ranch and building a city. Like I'm a little weirded out by it. But the hate, Trid, I guess that comes or the vitriol is ginned up in a way that like, I don't think that thesis of like, whenever something new comes and comes in numbers, our first instinct is to hate it because like a lot of the residents of that town said, no, we tried, we wanted to like, I mean, we were a little apprehensive, but we wanted to know about them. Um, And then it turned out that they were cuckoo bananas, which they were. I mean, like, they were cuckoo bananas. They fled India because they were cuckoo bananas. Like there's evidence that this woman, Sheila, who's the main person in the interview in the documentary murdered her first husband, but they don't talk about that in the documentary. She just talks lovingly about her husband who died of Hodgkin's disease when like there's evidence that she probably murdered him, but they don't even talk about that in order to create this like crazy false narrative. And I I see what you mean, Dave, like it is more interesting if you, if you grapple at first with like, you're not sure whose side you're on. We talked about this a little bit on Twitter. Like I don't hate that idea of them sort of gentling us into the cult stuff and and maybe taking the worst of the townspeople to create a false equivalency at first. But then they have a responsibility because they are calling themselves a documentary to interrogate that information at some point over the six episodes. So even if it is not until episode four, they're like, well, actually, you know how Sheila said that her husband died of Hodgkins? Uh, P.S. A bunch of people think she murdered she killed him uh because she wanted to be with the Bhagwan. like like all this sort of stuff like that like they never say well actually and it, it what it reminds me of is like when trump just tweets lies and like it that spreads without anyone being like well actually no that's not the truth and so that like that really bothers me and so what it is 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 the way brothers shaping a narrative that is compulsively watchable like this has been very watchable for people because there does feel like there's a moral uncertainty um but it's a false moral uncertainty because like it's not like the local government was like oh these these people like to have too much sex and oh you know they have like interviews with bigoted people who are like oh there are queers out on that ranch i'm like well yeah fuck that guy fuck that guy who doesn't like gay sex but like that's not the problem the problem is these people are mur- like murdering people and poisoning people that's the problem you know what i mean so i don't know that's that's where my, my i get stuck you know well i think that's a good time to throw to you the listener <laughs> to take it upon yourself oh do you mean me <laughs> you you neil sorry the only person who I, listened to that you whole know what? this th- is actually thing. really fascinating uh, if i may um, because it sounds like uh, they did make... It sounds like the problem is that they made a documentary for entertainment purposes. They made it specifically to be entertaining and thr- and gripping rather than documentary for journalistic purposes, which is what we traditionally think of for documentaries. But by doing that, maybe they've created something that we're talking about more, we're talking about more deeply, so I guess the question is, is what they is what the filmmakers did right or wrong? 
or does it matter? Or is there some other category of documentary that needs to be created where it's where it's just like it's it's narrative driven? Mm, well, I mean, what you're talking about, they made a docuseries that plays like reality TV. You have confessionals, you have yeah, I guess little reality bits of TV things, would be a you good have way like, to describe it. Like, that's what I keep thinking about when I think about the ways that these people are creating narrative. And Joanna says it's not documentary, which might be true because I see what you do is you find your characters and you find the stories you want to tell with those characters and you let those characters tell their own story you can't really kick them into place unless you're doing what you're talking about which is a journalistic investigation where the truth is the reason that the documentary exists i really think wild wild country exists to show you all these characters coming to a head uh within a system but if it is people's first you know uh exposure to the bhagwan sri rajneesh the nice thing about Wild Wild Country provoking this conversation is a lot of people from the Oregonian, a lot of people who remember living through it, are uh, re-bringing up the journalism they got to do in the 80s that is cool. uh, while this was actually happening. Very cool. So if you do want the complete truth and this documentary doesn't do it for you, but you're still curious about all the stuff Joanna's talking about that absolutely the documentary doesn't talk about, uh, that's all out there now. So at least we're, one way or the other, Wild Wild Country, I think, brings us further away from a showdown like Rajneesh Puram ever happening again. Uh, I just don't think it has anything to say about cults necessarily. I just, um, I... Sorry that I got so heated, first of all, but second of all, like (laughs) I, I just don't like feeling like I'm being led by the nose like i'm being spoon-fed something that's not true and that's sort of well especially if they're going to call it a documentary because like when you you think about the oj thing we had the ryan murphy show and then we had the espn documentary and it was like well clearly one is the dramatized version and the other is literal documentary this seems to sort of exist in the middle here's where we can talk about actually something that really exists in the middle uh and this is where we can leave dave out of the conversation if we want to but we don't have to but um (laughs) I spoke to, uh, just coincidentally, I just got back from speaking to Bart Layton, who directed uh, a great film called The Imposter in 2012, and then a, a film that Neil and I saw, right, you saw that with me, right, Neil, at South by Southwest, American Animals? Nope. Do you, totally okay, didn't. never mind. Just me. All right. Uh, <laughs> what Bart Layton does, if you saw The Imposter, uh, or if you plan to see uh, American Animals, is he blends documentary with, um, like, it, you know, live action storytelling and it's, it goes beyond reenactment. Uh, American animals is a really fascinating blend. Cause you've got, it's basically a heist film and it's got actors in it. You might recognize like Evan Peters, from American horror story, Blake Jenner, um, Barry Keoghan, like um, all, you know, these great young actors doing this like compelling story about uh, these dumbass rich white kids who tried to steal a bunch of rare books. Um, so it's a heist movie, but interspersed is, and it's based on a true story, except the film starts with, this is not based on a true story. And it's interspersed with interviews with the real guys and talking about it. And you can't tell at first that they're the, I thought that they were like other actors hired to play the, like the older versions of whatever, but no, it's like the real guys. And so it's like, I guess high end reenactment, if you want to say, um, or, or it's like I Tanya, except if the confessional interviews were from like the actual people that this happened to. Um, and what he does is when like multiple of the real guys, when, when they tell different versions of the story, he'll show, he'll replay the scene 
all the different versions that they said. And I was talking to him about this, about this idea that like maybe this is even truer than a documentary because he's like, because he comes from the world of making documentaries. And he's like, every documentary is trying to tell you a story. Just like Dave compared it to reality TV. Like every documentary is trying to create a narrative and, um, and, and finding your characters and all these things that you guys are saying um, and lead you along a path. And he was like, maybe what this model is doing that I did here and with the imposter uh, is, is just trying to leave it out there and you can decide what you think is right, you know? And uh, I, I think that's the best way to try to tell a story, um, especially if it's like a true one. I just hate like Googling something after and be like, why is all of this left out? Like, why? Why not talk about rampant STDs or forced sterilization of women or forced abortion of women? Like, why just ignore that? So, um, but, but to because ne- it's about government, Joanna. Okay. But to Neil's <laughs> point, um, to Neil's point, we are talking about it. It was inform. It was like a good primer for something that I knew nothing about that definitely happened in my lifetime, and I don't know why it's not a more famous story. And it did. It did. To Dave's point, it did uh, send me to read some like reporting at the Oregonian, which was great and really, really great to read this local reporting that happened uh, in the early eighties. So, um, I guess wow, uh, I guess David Koresh just had a better publicist. <laughs> <I guess so. laughs> Uh, all right, cool. I look forward to p- probably not watching that. So <laughs> I, I don't it's have time. Very unsettling. <laughs> I don't. At what point they do something with beavers that I can't talk about? <laughs> oh God! Why? You know what? Here's my other question, and then we'll move on. What the hell is is it about Oregon? Because weren't the wasn't that militia a couple of years back in Oregon? Yeah, where they had like the standoff with the FBI, like. Is there just too much space yeah, in Oregon? Yeah, it's that wild, wild country, Neil. <laughs> when I think of Oregon, I think of like California, but like with no sales tax. But apparently it's more like one of the Dakotas. Well, I don't some know. Great, I should visit Oregon. some great liberal people and some crazy conservative, great, great conservative people. Here's what I want to say. Crazy I, on both sides. I, I don't, I just want to take, like walk back a little bit, like me laughing at like Dave being like, this is a documentary about government because like you definitely do learn a lot about government and kind of like how mm, unstable a lot of our systems are, like how easy it might be for Well, it's like no one seems to, to notice until the co-founder of Nike is literally tells the yeah. federal government, hey, something's happening in Oregon. I mean, and, and and so there is, it is a lot, it is instructive about government. That is true. That the thesis statement of the, of the documentary is about like a cautionary tale of the overreaches of government. I don't agree, but like I do agree that there are overreaches of government and it is instructive about the government in among a lot of other things that it is. So also sex cult. Also, uh, also sex, sex cult. cult. <laughs> Speaking of stuff that's really sexy, we should move on and talk about Legion. Let's Neil. You caught up with Legion today. So I did. you are it's the freshest. It's freshest on your mind. Sure. Uh, why don't you let us know where you think David is picking up at the beginning of season two? Ooh, interesting question. Um, mostly because if you're like me, you forgot most of what happened in Legion season one because life happens. Um, I think we've actually had three different presidents since the last season of Legion. I'm not sure. Um, but we pick up 
in season two with David sort of waking up and being uh, brought into Division Three, right? It's Division Three. It is. Mm-hmm. And that's where he finds all of his friends. And to him, he has been gone overnight uh, after being sucked into a tiny little ball, flying ball thing. Um, but to his friends, he's been gone for 362 days. And so it's all about the chase to find the Shadow King, um, still being portrayed, at least at the beginning of this season, uh, by Aubrey Plaza, who is hiding out inside the body of Oliver, played by Jermaine Clement, and they are headed out on a road trip of sorts, some a spirit journey. And uh, it's all about uh, now David and his friends from Sugarland, right? Summerland. Is that what it was called? Summerland. Summerland. Mm-hmm. Sugarland is a, is a city by Houston. Summerland. Um, they have all now become part of the government entity that was chasing them in the first place. And uh, there's actually a really great moment between Hamish Linklater's character and David, as played by handsome, McHandsome face Dan Stevens. Oh, so handsome. Um, where <laughs> they talk about how they each used to think that they were the bad guys which I thought was a really interesting thing to see in a comic book show, um, among other things. So in the first couple episodes, we have seen dancing. We have seen a lot of mind-related things where there's a fight in the mind this week. I guess we should also say that we're going to spoil up to the most recent episode, this week's Chapter 10. Safe to say, you could jump off now. Um, Well, I I Legion's really hard to spoil, to be it's, honest. Yeah, because it's like, like, what are you even talking about anyway? Yeah. Um, so I've spent most of the first two episodes thinking that most of this was set in the real world, but now I'm not so sure. It's possible we're in someone's mind. Probably really, David's yeah. mind. That was a really popular theory last season because uh, someone pointed out that all of the, like, a lot of the characters surrounding him all have similar sounding, like, Names that end in the same, like you've got Melanie, Sydney, Ptolemy, Carrie, Carrie, like uh, they all have like these E names. And so someone was like, oh, they're all different multiple personalities of David Holler because that character has multiple personalities in the comic book. Um, Here's what I'll say. I promise briefly about Legion, which is that season one was like uh, a crazy ride. Visually stunning, well acted, really fun in a lot of ways, very confusing. Um, bears rewatching, blah, blah, blah. Season two, I was tempted at first to say it was even crazier. And it kind of is. It's kind of like a fuck you t- to people who are like, thought that season one was too crazy because, like, here we go. But I, I, actually, I, re-watch- I had already seen these two episodes and I rewatched them today to prepare for the episode. And I was like, actually, season two is much simpler. Uh, and, and, Dan Stevens' character, David Holler, says it in the first episode. He's like, oh, so it's a race. Okay, we're in a race. So you've got your quote-unquote good guys and your quote-unquote bad guys. And they're racing to find the Shadow King's body. And you've got David working as a double agent, but for good reasons. There's a lot of other stuff around it. But like, really, that's all you need to know. And the rest of it is kind of like mood 
and tones. And yeah, there's like future stuff and like foreshadowing of what's going to happen to David and all that sort of stuff like that. But like the rest of it, you can kind of let wash over you, to be honest with you. And that's, and it's similar to, I think that way, Twin Peaks The Return, which was also a very simple quest. You've got good guys and bad guys racing towards a goal. And the rest of it is just like tone and and fun and weirdness and yeah it has like it has philosophical things to say but like you don't need necessarily to track every turn of the narrative in order to follow it or enjoy it um i'll be curious if neil or dave if you disagree i actually agree strongly with that sentiment because uh we did get a bunch of questions on twitter where people were like well what the fuck's going on in this show and then i watched the episodes and i was like well wait so this it it is a show that is being is weird and there are parts of it that are sort of deliberately obtuse but it's also really really walking us by the hand yeah. like you could you know there's there's some of the John Ham narr- uh, narration stuff that is poetry but then there's some of it that's like him just explaining stuff like how the mind human mind works like the red light green light thing um so it does feel in the same breath, both accessible and crazy, which I think is super fascinating for a TV show to be able to do because you usually you have to choose one. Usually you have to, you have to either be obtuse and weird and let people do 3000 word, uh, think pieces on it later, or you have to sort of dumb it down for the widest possible audience. This show somehow is accomplishing both, at least as far as I can tell. Dave, what do you think? Yeah, I think that balancing act is also what makes for the weak parts of the show. I absolutely love Legion because it talks to me on my level. I like things that kind of speak theme and plot to you uh, really directly. But that could also be sort of a crutch when you're looking for a show uh, to hang a lot on character relationships. Legion requires you to sort of build those on your own a lot or for somebody to tell you what the current status of that relationship is, both because it's not very good at having characters uh, show, not tell out of montage, and because it wants to be, I think, that type of cool and off-putting so that you don't actually know at what point you are in time or space uh, in any given uh, plot point. Uh, it's been working pretty good for me for season two. I kind of wish that, uh, I don't know, it moved a little bit faster. I feel like episode two was about setting up the stakes that Joanna's talking about, uh, the race. And I feel like that could have been pulled a little bit more into the premiere and then maybe push something like, uh, totally esoteric, like the dance battle to somewhere else where, I wasn't uh, just floundering for something to hold on to at that point, which I think kind of happened to me in the season two premiere. So I think Legion season two is going to have a harder time, I think, pleasing me if it's going to ride that line where I'm always on Sid's side because I'm told I have to be on her side because she says David's her man and therefore she won't betray him. She doesn't say that second part. She just says he's your man. And I'm supposed to infer the second part because I know how noir works. So it's like those little leaps I enjoy, but those are going to be stumbling blocks for some people. The show's not going to necessarily hold your hand as much as it's going to do a magician-like reveal at the end and then let you go back and figure out if it connected 
all the dots as you're watching the show it's a much more visceral experience that depends a lot more on the dance battle or the light show as he's trying to breach time in the cerebro tank uh like those things work or or the battle when he's fighting with the more Farouk and he chooses a tank and Farouk chooses like dust like those things I love it Legion but that's sort of uh treading water points or points where I really want you to be hitting a big thematic moment a la season one's uh silent attack by the Shadow King if you could overlap craziness and big plot reveal moments, I think that's when Legion can really work. It hasn't gotten there yet for season two. I think only because I've only had two hours to figure out that there's a race between two teams, one of which I did know, but its makeup is completely different. So now I don't know if I'm supposed to trust them. And the other one, I didn't even know that David was in contact with Farouk in the current time period until episode two. So I feel like I just had that established, and then as soon as my teams are established, I know where I am going well, forward. I disagree. I'm hope- oh, oh, sorry. Go- sorry, sorry. Oh, no, I'm hoping that by episode four or five, these things start clicking in the same uh, gear spot or whatever you say, the sweet spot. I mean, in season, in episode one, he's he- like it's clear that he's holding things back. He's hearing voices in his head, and there's like clear, it's clear that he's lying and stuff like that. So like, I don't. Anyway. Um, well, but they find him at the club at the beginning, yeah. and then the dance battle takes place at the club, but then they also see the monk at the club, but we didn't know he was the monk, and now we learn in episode two that the Farouk doesn't even know what the monk looks like or doesn't know where the monk is, so I just don't know where all the club things from episode one took place. Yeah, and I guess I guess my ease with Legion this season is like, I just don't care. Um, and, and I'm not saying it's not important and I'm not saying like you, you watching it the way you're watching it is wrong. I'm just saying like for my ease of watch, I'm like, okay, I understand. I understand the, the, the game. I understand the players. I understand the stakes, uh, for that sort of emotionality, Dave, that you mentioned, you, you thought was kind of missing. Um, I said this a lot in season one that I think so much of the success of season one rested on Dan Stevens' performance and him like getting you really hardcore on his side uh, through his like big blue peepers and like how important that was. And I still think that's very important. I also think Gene Smart's stuff, uh, Gene Smart who plays Melanie, I think her stuff uh, around feeling like the loss of her husband Oliver and all that stuff, I think that gives us a lot of emotionality and actually I think they're really doing a, a, a good job this year in a way that they didn't last year of uh, make, helping me understand the carry carry relationship and so I do feel like there are relationships and believable human anchors uh, that help me navigate this craziness because you know that I like if it were just spectacle I would not be on be on board or invested in it and then you you balance stuff like the the battle between David and Farouk uh, where it's like wrestling and then sword and then tank and then and then dust, uh, which is really comic booky and fun. Uh, you balance that with like this great scene that precedes it, where um, you you have the two of them talking, and I just think that uh, you know the the actor playing uh, Amal Farouk is giving in like a, a like a bravura performance in like nine different languages in a way that I just find completely engrossing, and it's just like two people talking, so that's not like crazy spectacle that's just like you can put those two actors talking in a in the middle of a field and it's super interesting to me and then you can follow it up with Aubrey Plaza talking to him and that's super interesting to me too and so like for all the like 
John Hamm <laughs> shit, which I also enjoy. Like there's these other things that I that I think are just basics, bare bones of of good TV. I don't know. Mm. Uh, but it, I, I do acknowledge that it's not going to be for everyone, for sure. I have a theory. I'm waiting for... Oh, yeah, do it. Uh, my only real solid theory is that the club isn't a real place. Like, even though we see them pick up David at the club at the beginning of the first episode, I'm still not convinced that that doesn't exist in someone's mind. Sure. I mean, anything could be in someone's mind. And it's like... yeah. But like I, specifically, I feel like the, they keep drawing us back to this, the club yeah. to, to make us think that it's a real place, but we're going to find out that it's not, which would explain why Farouk has no idea who the monk is, because and David saw the monk there. Anyway, so there's that. Um, <laughs> That's my only theory. I, I'm going to, I'm about, please forgive me for like butchering two names in a row right now, but um, I did want to shout out that like the actor who's playing Amal Farouk is, his name is Navid uh, Nagab- Nagaban. I think, and he was on Homeland, and uh, he is, I think, extraordinary. And he was actually recast because originally that role was played by um, the actor who's in Wonder Woman, uh, Saeed Tagmawi, I believe his name is, uh, who was not a good fit, and they recast him. And like, I don't know what that performance was. I mean, that guy was fine in Wonder Woman, so like, I'm not maligning him as an actor generally, but like, I think the addition of Navid, like, he is so good. I think as Amal Farouk uh, in a way that like, I don't know when a, when a big bad appears uh, it's so fascinating. Um, like, you know, they built him up for a season and like, uh, you know, you've got Aubrey Plaza embodying him. You've got Jermaine Clement embodying him. Like how, how is anyone actually going to top that? And I actually think this guy rises to that challenge. The other thing that I find really encouraging and interesting about Legion is Noah Hawley has talked about like how he doesn't want this show to go on for like a million seasons. I I would expect Legion goes four seasons max, maybe three. And um and that it's not gonna be like, ooh, a different big bad each it's like it's an arc and it's about I don't know the the corruption of David Holler, the madness of David Holler. Like it's pretty, yeah, he has to lose, yeah. right? I think I, if it's a short arc, he has to lose. That's it's pretty, the Legion story yeah, in my mind. It's pretty clear to me that like you know when when Future Sid comes, I mean, pretty clear. I think right that Future Sid comes back and like she's talking about this other threat, and it's pretty clear that that's David, and like yeah. David is the villain in her timeline, and maybe that they can change those things, but like that's the whole tension of Legion is like is David a villain or is he a hero? Are we going to watch like the corruption and fall of someone that we like fell in love with because he was played by Dan Stevens and was like in love with this girl or what are, what are we going to watch? But, and I find that tension really compelling too. That's why I think the delusion is such an apt metaphor for both Legion as a whole and wild, wild country. It's because Dave Gonzalez. Yeah. Yeah. I've been waiting the whole episode for this. Yeah. It's because they both, you know, start with like this very basic normal idea, either about what the documentary is going to be about or about who you're dealing with as a main character. And then as it, it slowly becomes more and more complex over time. By the end, you're going to end up with something that's monstrous and completely different from where you thought you were ending up. But it happens so gradually that you're watching somebody accused of poisoning a whole town in Oregon help raise people with dementia in some European country. And you're like, yeah, 
you deserve this happy dancing montage. And by the time we get to the end of Legion, we're going to be like, you know what? David deserved to become Lord Trauma. This is exactly how it was supposed to end up. And that's, you know, it's great. It's Walter White, uh, but in, uh, you know, real life and then X-Men. So I'm, I'm into both those, those narratives. All right. I like it. I'm, I'm more excited to watch the rest of Legion season two now that I've watched the first two episodes, which I think is the whole point. That is good. I, That's a good sign. I just, I really heartily recommend this show. Like, even if you find it confusing, it's super fun. Like, just like let it wash over you, man. Just like watch it. And just like don't worry <laughs> about what's going on. If you want to know, you can tweet me, and I'll try to explain it to you. But really, it doesn't matter. And there really are ways in which this season is like, as as Neil said, like working. I think harder to, like, I the carry thing really specifically. I think they did a bad job TV wise of establishing like here's a woman who lives inside a man and like time mm. passes for her differently <laughs> like and this they just they even just by changing the effect of her emerging from him like i feel like last season she would just be there and they just didn't make it super clear and i think the first time i watched the episode like before i realized that they're both called carrie like i didn't really understand um and this time they make it, A, they make it much more clear and B, as a result, we get more Bill Irwin, which is better for everyone. So <laughs> I'm really into it. I'm glad they involved him in the dance yes. sequence, even though he wasn't part of the hallucination because Bill it just Irwin. made sense. Ugh. Legion makes a lot of decisions that make perfect sense while you're watching it. And then afterwards you're like, I don't know who thought that to try that because I would have never thought to try that. So that's that's a compliment. It may not have sounded like a compliment, but that's a compliment. Yeah. All right. We like Legion. Legion's good. We do. We like Legion. We'll probably be back uh, unless this season ends up with a real stinky egg at the end uh, to to wrap up Legion. But until then, Neil, where are we off to next week? Uh, oh, my God. You guys, we're going to do the episode that we thought we were going to do this week, except I got the dates wrong on when Lost in Space comes out on Netflix. Um, we are going to do Lost in Space. We are going to be lost, but we are very for real going to do this episode. Uh, lost in Space comes out this week on Netflix, so you can watch it this weekend. Um, I can also tell you that based on some prep work, some of us have already watched the 1998 Lost in Space movie as we discussed uh, you don't, Joanna. Are you going to watch uh, Swiss Family Robinson? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you a you don't. Tiger. You obviously <laughs> don't have to watch the 1998 Lost in Space movie starring Matt LeBlanc and Heather Graham um, and other people, uh, but you should because it's really ridiculously bad. <laughs> you want to watch the 1960 Disney adventure film? with Family Robinson. <laughs> also a very good one. I, w- I also have only watched a couple of episodes of the original Lost in Space series, although it's you can watch like one of those and you're fine. It's on Hulu if, if anybody's... Uh... Oh, yes. I should tell everybody where they can watch these things. So the original Lost in Space series is on Hulu. The new movie... The 98 movie is on Netflix. And Swiss Family Robinson is also on streaming, I think. Oh, wow. And if you want to read the 1812 novel, Der Schweizerische Robinson, you can do Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. 
I bet they do. I bet they really want to read that. <laughs> um, they're going to be like, oh my God, did you see this pirate was dressed as a boy? Any, um, anything with the word Robinson in it is must watch. What if oh. they change this with Family Robinson tree into at a uh, Disney? Tarzan's Jungle oh, Adventure. So stupid. I got Bring kicked out of the Paris tree. Disney Swiss Family Robinson tree for smoking on the top level of it. It was open air. I thought it was fine. What? And Favorite it was. I got kicked <laughs> off for being there without a child. Uh, that's the end of <laughs> that story. Who is this creepy man smoking in a tree? Let's get him the it's, F out the, of here. Foreign exchange student Dave, who was like, let's go to Euro Disney, guys. And everyone else is like, fuck, we don't want to do that. And I was like, I'll go by myself then. Because that's how to be an awesome person with Dave Gonzalez. You are awesome. I'm sorry we fought about a documentary. That's okay. I think we're equally, we're both equally right and wrong. So anytime we could find a subject where that happens, uh, it's worth, it's worth review. (laughs) And maybe it will be for next week. Sorry, old 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 space TV themes are the best. Oh wow! Um, so yeah, until next time, guys. Where could people find more of your work on the internet, Mr. Neil Miller? Uh, you get me over at uh, filmschoolrejects.com, where uh, I'll write some stuff, probably. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at rejects. Don't forget to follow the show at Storm of Spoilers. And uh, email us stuff about Lost in Space if you haven't already, which some of you have. Stormospoilers at gmail.com. And Joanna Robinson. Uh, you can find me at... Nope, I was going to come up with like a really fun Legion thing, but I didn't do it. Like, oh, oh, oh <laughs> Legion thing. Um, you can find me at Sheila is a crook. Uh, um, I'm at Jerosis.com. <laughs> Uh, like I said earlier, I'm kicking off two Westworld podcasts, Decoding Westworld and Still Watching, colon, Westworld. Uh, there are Daves involved in both of those shows. And um, I will be on NPR next week or soon talking about Westworld as well. Uh, tweet, tweet to you what? about when that's happening. Um, so stay tuned. Oh, moving up to national public radio off of our humble podcast. From MP3 to the airwaves. <laughs> I was waiting for somebody to make this leap so I could have that whole speech. Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. Right now I have my uh, top tweet pinned to my profile. It's an IndieWire story where I catch you up on the Star Wars canon novels, comic books, uh, cartoon shows, etc. Because uh, I monitor that year round, so you don't have to. So every once in a while, you get to check in and read a post about me. That's the way it goes. And uh, until next week, uh, when really we'll be in space where gravity allows you not to fall down, you need to make sure to stay upright and not fall down. <laughs>